Hi folks, get ready for a great podcast. Just a heads up, if you're driving the kids to school or cooking supper and they're around, some of the discussion won't be suitable for those under 18. All right, let's get to it. I don't think there was a day that would go by where I wouldn't pinch myself because the way the Lord took me out of the darkness, like in his kindness, he never stopped loving me when I was aborting my two babies, when I was sleeping around or, you know, when I was denying him, when I was rejecting him, when I was laughing at Christians, like the whole time he knew that one day I would be his again. Mm. Now, when I, when I reach out to the lost, I know that there's not a single person who's done anything that is so bad that they cannot come back to the Lord or they cannot receive the love of God. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbo with Inspired. It's great to be back again. We're bombarded by so much bad news. So if you're new to us, this is all about just churning out good news of people's lives and how through sucker punches and challenges that have come at them, they've they've come through and they've come through because of a a dynamic encounter with Jesus. And I have no doubt that you're going to be massively inspired this week. I'm so excited to have with us Bobby Kamari. Welcome, Bobby. Thank you, Simon. So cool to be with you. It is so good to have you. It's hard to know how to describe you. I mean, mean, you're an author, a speaker, you're a fashionista, you've got your own label, Living in Light, you're a podcaster, you were a teacher for a number of years. Uh, What I love is that you're a complete straight talker, you're a very clear thinker in terms of uh, commenting on what's going on in in culture. I love seeing you out there on the streets with our our dear friend, mutual friend, Dom Muir. Dom, yeah. yeah, He's been on here and his podcast went far and wide because, again, he just spoke so clearly about what is going on in the political and cultural space. So there's loads to unpack, and I just pretty much want to hand on to you straight away. So you're from a Hindu background. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us tell us from uh, you know key moments from your childhood. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much, Simon. Um, yeah, so from a Hindu background, born in this country, me and my siblings, um, and my parents raising us with love, but like super, super strict. Mm-hmm. No, actually not really even super strict, but they were definitely, you know, clear boundaries. We weren't allowed to dress a certain way and we weren't allowed to drink or smoke and mm-hmm. conservative traditional values growing up. Um And because we were from a Hindu background, I grew up, you know, around witchcraft, around um, worship nights, um, a lot of like idol worship. My mum would drag us up mountains, you know, she'd take us to India and then make us walk up mountains to these temples at the top of the mountains. Mm -hmm. And we'd have like these weekly, um, sometimes monthly prayer times in the house where me and my siblings, we'd just see, you know, people get possessed by demonic spirits and it was kind of all that we had ever really known um and we'd see you know them begin to like gyrate their eyes would almost pop out of their face um as they could you clearly saw them getting possessed by something and so there was all of that you know influence in the house um and my parents um they wanted me to obviously follow the hindu faith and so i would participate in some rituals and festivals um but I never could get my head around the actual Hindu faith itself and I remember being about 11 years old in India um and I was stuck out there for several months and I was just reading loads of like Indian literature and I was was reading this comic um and it was about all the 
Hindu goddesses, like all their legacies and Mm -hmm. the god of this and the god of that. And as I would finish reading every single book and comic, I would be like, my head would be hurting because I'd just be like, but they are statues, you know, these aren't real. Like they're Mm -hmm. not actually, um, they're not able to hear you. They're not able to see you. Like how did all these gods and goddesses create the earth and how did they, how do they hear us when we're praying? How do they see us? Like there was just such a disconnect. I could not get my head around it. My head was actually pounding. But I actually, when I came back to London about six months after that trip to India, someone actually ended up telling me about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that was probably what drew me to him. The fact that he was a living savior and that he could hear me, that he could see me. Because up until that point, all I'd seen were like these statues and these idols. And my mum would have a shrine in our house and it was just filled with, you know, pictures of every single God and um, statues with all these uh, floral garlands around it. And even then I would be baffed because my mum, she would have so much pain, like she would weep. I watched her take her, you know, take an overdose and be rushed to hospital. My dad would beat her. My dad was an alcoholic. He was a gambler. And even though he loved us, but he was addicted to alcohol and, you know, he, he wasn't very affectionate. And unless he was drunk, he never told me he loved me. He never really told any of us that he loved us. So there was a lot of brokenness in my mm. family growing up, even though the children had fun and we were carefree and we were super creative. Um, but there was this, there was always this like disconnect that how could my mum be so faithful to her gods and be so pious and so religious and so devoted, but there be so much pain in her life. Um, and then I met Jesus at the mm. age of 12. Wow. How did that happen? Um, so this precious lady called Caroline, uh, she just literally knocked at the front door. In fact, the crazy thing is three weeks before these Jehovah's Witnesses had knocked at the door <laughs> and they showed me like this, my book of Bible stories. And it was this most stunning book that I just, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And it was filled with all these stories from the Bible. I thought they were from the Bible with these stunning, stunning pictures. And I was like, so intrigued. I invited them into the house and mm. they started telling me all this stuff about Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was like, oh, this sounds amazing amazing. Um, This book is gorgeous. And so they popped around a few times and then they arranged to take us to like a watchtower um, factory to see like these watchtower, you know, booklets being um, printed. And then we went to this factory and then while we were at this factory, they told us that Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate birthdays or Christmas. (laughs) And then I was like, Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> okay. And then in my mind, I was like, okay, this is not going to work. Deal um, so a couple of weeks after that, this precious lady, Caroline, knocked at my door and she said, um, I'd love to invite you to a local girls club at the local church. So I was like, yep, let's do this. And then she told me about Jesus and she told me that he was a living savior. And as soon as she told me that, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to know this Jesus. And um, she gave me, you know, the New Testament and I came home. And literally every night to like three o'clock in the morning, I would read the New Testament. I would read all the Gospels and I was just blown away. I definitely was, you know, completely captivated by Jesus and Christianity. But 
by that stage, I already had a lot of dysfunction, you know, um, because of the Hindu background, because of my dad not being affectionate, because of some sexual uh, molestation that went on when I was a child. So even though I had met this Jesus at the age of 12, I was already pretty messed up and I was quite used to living a double life because as a, as a Indian, there was a lot of expectations put on us where mm. there were so many things that we weren't allowed to do. And so I had, by the time of being 12, I already knew how to present and perform, you yeah. know, to come across as a good girl. But then behind the scenes, I was like drinking my dad's whiskey. I was smoking. I was, by this time, I'd probably started sneaking out of my bedroom window. Um, I was bunking school. You know, all these things were happening. So when I became a Christian, although, yes, this was a living savior that I had met, but I still performed. I was still religious. I still prayed, you know, religious prayers three for, for like 30 minutes a night while I was lying in my bed, praying mm. for salvation for my family and praying to this Jesus and, you know, praying for world peace and praying for all these things. But I also religiously continued on in this faith, but then also did all the crazy things that I was doing, you know, behind the scenes, um, the sinful behaviors. My mind was quite pornographic by this stage because of the molestation. Um, so even though I met Jesus, but I had no true understanding that he loved me full stop, that I didn't mm -hmm. have to do anything, that he'd already paid the price and that he died for me, like a salvation to me at that age and in that season of my life, I didn't really have a grid for a f the free gift of salvation and that I was saved by grace and that really I didn't have to do anything but receive him and receive his love. And because of that, I still continued really. I mean, although I was a Christian and although I had a sense that Jesus was my Prince of Peace and he helped me while I was going through bullying and I turned to him no matter what, but I also, you know, I had two gods. I had Jesus and I still had the God of this world. Hmm. And you talk about leaving Jesus age 16 back, 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 backsliding. Was that a sort of conscious decision? I've had enough or, or how did that happen? Yeah, definitely. I think like what really just triggered that was growing up in like an Indian family, um, the one pardonable sin is having a boyfriend, basically, <laughs> unpardonable sin. So if you've got a boyfriend, that's like so, so, so shameful. And so I grew up in a home where my sister would get caught up in lots of things with guys. And so whenever that would happen, my dad would then beat my mum and I would watch that. And Dear. by the age of about, I was about 16 now and my sister was 18 and then she, she would run away from home several times. And every single time she would do that, I watched my dad beat my mum. And so in my mind, I always had this rule that no matter what I get up to, I'm never, ever going to have a boyfriend because it will cost my mum everything. And so yeah. I used to live under this pressure. And no matter what I did, no matter if I messed around or if I snuck out, my one thing was no, 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 when it came to guys. But at the age of 16, just before I went to college, um, I got involved with someone who was a DJ and they basically introduced me to R&B music and I was obsessed by R&B music and so I would listen to it day and night, day and night, day and night and within about a three-month period my whole mindset changed. The boundaries that I had because despite all my madness there were still certain boundaries that I had because I'd been brought up in like you know an Indian home with these values, with these cultures 
but as I started listening to this music, everything began to shift and I began to be drawn to these lyrics, drawn to the spirit behind the music. And I began to, you know, um, want the things that these music um, videos were displaying. And so within about a three month period of listening to R&B music, I became sexually active. I had my first boyfriend. I did all the things that I said I would never do to protect my mum. And protecting my mum went out of the window, thinking, you know, caring about my family's reputation as an Asian girl, completely out the window. I was just raving every single night with my boyfriend. If I wasn't in clubs, I was with my boyfriend, literally throwing away my whole life. And I knew that I couldn't be a Christian and be sexually active, you know? And so I was like, okay, I, I can't be a Christian anymore. And so I literally intentionally decided to knock Jesus on the head. Um, but I never stopped praying, you know, he was still there and he was still at the back of my mind, but there was no way that I was practicing Christianity in any intentional way after that. All I wanted to do was have fun. And that was sort of for about a decade, wasn't it? Yeah. And it just, it just increases. Cause the thing is like lust by its very nature increases, you know? And so it just went worse and worse. It just got worse and worse. And so what I would do as a 16 year, 16 year old, um, obviously, that would increase in terms of risks that I would take and the kind of activities that I would involve myself in. And so it went from the age of 16, just being sexually active and sneaking out every night and going into clubs and smoking to then slowly moving on to smoking weed and then drinking alcohol all the time and then class A drugs and then living with someone, but then leaving them and then sleeping around and becoming highly promiscuous and having abortions, you know, two abortions um, and really just destroying my life and hating myself and, mm. you know, being very manipulative to try and get my own way and just very broken, knowing that my dad, you know, had all these expectations of me, but never told me he loved me, battling with the spirit of rejection, like all those things going on. And my escape really always was the drugs and the alcohol and the dancing in the clubs. And so I did that till the age of about 26, where I, I thought I'd hit rock bottom, you know, because at that mm -hmm. point I was now sleeping around a lot. I could see my, my habits like really destroying my life. I could see my habits destroying my friendships, destroying my finances, you know, like I really had no self-control by this point. Um, but the crazy thing is that the same woman, Caroline, who led me to the Lord, um, she still kind of remained a spiritual mum. And so through all these crazy years, I would still every so often go and just stay with her for a weekend or chat to her now and mm -hmm. again. And she, because she lived locally to my family home, um, and although I wasn't living at home anymore, but she'd always go and visit my mum. And so while all this was happening, uh, one day my mum called me and said, Bobby, I've given my life to Jesus oh, because Caroline yeah. had led her to the Lord while I was backslidden. God bless Caroline, you rock star. Uh, it's crazy, Wonderful. isn't it? And yeah. so me and my mum, we have the, the same spiritual mum. Mm. Um, and so at the age of around 25, I'd say, um, even though I wasn't a Christian anymore um, and I thought I'd hit rock bottom and I kind of knew that I'm destroying my life, I began to go and visit my mum 
Um, and she had her first prayer meeting around that time. Mm-hmm. And she inv- invited me to this prayer meeting. And I went just because I wanted to honor her. Um, I had no you know, desire to go anywhere religious. But I went there and I ended up having an encounter with the Lord, which kind of, you know, started the journey of me coming back to him. Wow. So I love hearing um, successful door knocking because yeah. <laughs> lots of people are, would, would well, most people would run a mile from doing it. I, I, I do it in our community and have just, you know, if, if you're winsome, there's, n- there's no way you'll get anything, anything more than uh, no thanks uh, mm. in terms of negativity. So I have, and I've had the chance to lead a number of people. It's brilliant. Um, you talk about that prayer meeting and then you also, you, you mentioned that you had a, a powerful demonic encounter. Was that at that prayer meeting when you, when you met God? <laughs> Uh, no, that happened later. Um, in terms of like the demonic, just a bit of like background. So when I was a kid, um, at the age of about 13, I had a sex dream and I didn't know what a sex dream was. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, I'd been molested. And so um, as a child, maybe on three or four occasions, there'd been molestation. And so my sexuality had been awakened in an illicit way. Um, And then at the age of about 13, I had a dream. And in this dream, it was a sexual dream. And in this dream, I had an orgasm. And I remember distinctly like remembering that dream because I'd never experienced anything like that before. And um, from that dream onwards, like my mind became very, very pornographic. You know, I began to masturbate and literally two weeks after this dream, I began to masturbate and it was just, it was something that wasn't even in my grid. It literally just happened. Mm -hmm. And I now in hindsight know that it was because of that dream, that demonic visitation that I had as a child. And I believe obviously the door to that opened because of the molestation that I um, Mm. went through as, as a, as a child. Um, So then through, throughout all of my, days as as a child and then throughout my hedonistic days the fact that I was quite uh promiscuous I I would continuously have sexual dreams and the thing with sexual dreams is we just accept them because we just think they're sexual dreams we just think you know um usually they come with a familiar face and so you just think oh you know it's just quite normal but actually it's not normal but I didn't realize that until I had a demonic encounter which was everything that I usually experienced in a sexual dream except it happened when I was wide awake um but I won't talk about that yet I'll tell you about my encounter at my mum's house Mm -hmm. which brought me on the journey to Christianity um so I'm I'm at my mum's house and um someone literally just comes over to me and then prophesies. And as they're prophesying over me, I just start weeping. And I thought, because I'd taken loads of drugs the night before, I literally thought it was the come down from the drugs while I'm sitting there on the floor just crying. But in hindsight, I now know that that was the presence of the Lord. Um, But that day, this woman began to just prophesy. She was a friend of my mum. She just began to prophesy over my life and began to speak about how God was going to come and take away certain friendships and he was going to come and start doing certain things in my life. And um, that day, I walked away from my mum's house knowing that I'd encountered God. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
not changing in any way on the outside, certainly, but on the inside, something had definitely happened. And it's like Jesus um, had got under my skin. And so from that day onwards, I would still be living the hedonistic lifestyle that I was living and I was still taking the drugs and sleeping around, but I could not stop talking about God. And I would talk about God when I was high, you know, like I'd be in toilets with people taking drugs and I'd be talking about Mm -hmm. God and everywhere I was, I'd be talking about this God now and asking people how they thought about God. And so slowly but surely he began to kind of come back into my life and I began to journal to God again the way I used to when I was a child. And I began to, I guess, invite him into the mess that I had made out of my life. And I remember getting to a point where everything was wrong. Like I needed to leave the flat that I was living in, in South London. I had issues with friendship. I had issues with finance. I was like, how am I going to leave this house? And how am I going to move all of this stuff? Like I felt like I was trapped in like this spider web. And I remember journaling, journaling to the Lord. And while I was just talking to him, I started like doodling in my journal and I wrote the lyrics of a song which were help me if you can I'm feeling down help me get my feet on solid ground and that was like my prayer to God and Mm -hmm. all around these song lyrics were drawings and doodles and this spider web of all the things that were holding me hostage in that moment in my life and I don't know what happened other than God showed up but literally within such a short period of time, all of those issues had been dealt with. And suddenly I was out of my flat in Brixton. I'd moved back to my mum's home. All my furniture had been brought back to my mum's home. Like I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm free. I'm out of this web. And that is really what started the journey back to me, you know, coming to God, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't plain sailing because when I got back to my mum's house, I knew I needed saving. I knew I needed rescuing. And so I started attending my mum's church, but then I would still backslide and it was back and forth because I found Christianity and going to church. Even when I was there, it felt amazing when I was in worship, like it felt beautiful to have all those tears and to weep and just to release and to be in God's presence and to feel clean. Like when I'd, when I'd worship, I would feel clean, but then when the worship was done and I'd walk away from church, I'd find church and Christianity so boring. So (laughs) I just keep going back to the world and then I'd come to church and back to the world. And obviously I'd respond to all the altar calls and I'd get saved a thousand times, (laughs) you know, but every single time I'd get saved, I would just feel like deep down in my heart, I always knew that I wasn't completely going to surrender, that I was still going to do this, I was still going to do that. And so as a result, I became a Christian. I, you know, gave my life to the Lord, but I never allowed him to actually be my Lord. And so he was just someone who was going to make sure I didn't go to hell. And so I would go to church, I would take communion, I even started attending a Bible school. Um, I tried to be righteous, I tried to give up smoking, I tried not to have sex anymore but because I wasn't surrendered I was doing all of it in my own strength Mm -hmm. and so I would go back and forth and I'd still be masturbating I'd still be you know as I said like sleeping around at times and so that all culminated in one night of me having a demonic attack where those sex dreams that I would have in my sleep I actually wide awake had an incubus spirit, which is a sex demon, um, literally just have sex with me while I was wide awake. And I knew what was happening. I thought my life was going to like 
end, my life flashed before me. I had recollections of horror films that I'd watched when I was a kid about, you know, a poltergeist who rapes a woman and he beats her and he beats her children and he completely destroys her house. And so I'd have flashes of all those things happening to me while this demonic attack was going on. And then when I thought, oh my gosh, I am going to die, you know, like these, all the prophetic words that had been spoken over my life over the last two and a half years of me going to church, they all flashed before me. And mm -hmm. then I remember thinking, oh my gosh, if demons are real, then God must be real. Because in that moment, I realized that all along, deep down, I hadn't surrendered because I had so much pride and I still wanted to sin. But somewhere along the line, I also wasn't sure if God was really real. And then in that moment, I realized that, oh my gosh, God is real because these demons are real. And then I remember thinking, it's too late and now I'm going to die. And I also had a sense like God showed me in that moment that Bobby, this spirit that's raping you, this spirit is the spirit of the world. And this is the spirit that you've been playing with, that you've been dancing with, that you just keep going back to. And this spirit hates you. And that's what I felt in this demonic attack, like such hatred for me, like such a relentless, like um, just anger towards me in this, in this spirit and in this attack. But because I thought I was going to die, I was just like, you know what, devil, I don't even care. Do whatever you want. I don't even care. And I just began to praise Jesus and praise Jesus and Amen. praise the Lord. And then it all just lifted. It lifted and I felt a shift and I was like, okay, I'm alone now. Whatever it was that was in my room, it's gone. And so that was when I truly surrendered my life to the Lord. And I realized that I don't want anything to do with the world because I saw the world for what it was. And that really, I mean, that was years ago and I left the world that day. And that's why I'm so sold out for mm. Jesus because this world truly has got nothing it can offer us. It doesn't matter what it masquerades as. It doesn't matter how glamorous or sexy or, you know, how gratifying it can be in the moment. The spirit of the world hates the children of God and it, it has got nothing for us. And so I had that revelation in that moment and I literally surrendered to the Lord, sold out for him and began to truly live for him. Wow. Now, listen, just let me play, push back on that just a little bit because I'm thinking some people that would be so far outside their sort of frame mm. of re reference. Um, were you, were, I mean, like as you're having that, that demonic manifestation, were you, were you high on drugs? I'm just trying to think of people saying, answer a skeptic yeah, on, no, on that. Yeah, no, it's definitely good to unpack that. So what had actually happened was um, I had been taking loads of drugs that night. Well, actually, it was just smoking a lot of weed. And I know that the weed was laced with stuff. So I was actually having quite a bad trip. And so when, I, when my friends went home and I came into my bedroom, I remember feeling like weird and being like, there is something off. Like this, this seems like quite a bad trip. And that's when I remember thinking that maybe the weed was like laced with some chemicals. And so I was just lying down um, to try and get rid of it. And I, I could kind of feel myself like my throat and my neck. It felt like there was it was as if something was kind of strangling me mm. and my chest just felt tight. And so I was just trying to sleep it off um, or just before I brush my teeth, just try and lay down. And then I remember feeling better. And then I remember like being fully awake and thinking, you know what, let me get up and go and brush my teeth. Mm -hmm. um, and so I distinctly remember that I was not under the influence anymore. I was, you know, literally just about to get up to get out of my bed to go and brush my teeth and that's when I had the demonic attack and um, what it felt like 
or what I experienced, I experienced like these waves of relentless orgasms, you know, and it was so um, forceful and it was so intense and it took over my whole body. Um, but I know that I was not in any way drunk or, hmm. you know, under the influence any in any way whatsoever. And because I had experienced these sensations in sex dreams throughout my whole life, you know, I, I knew what they were and what I had experienced in that moment was what had been visiting me for maybe the last 15 years in my sleep. I had opened the door for it to now visit me while I was wide awake. Mm. Well, I mean, the, the proof's in the pudding, isn't it? By your fruit, you'll know them. So you, you, you come out of that encounter radically changed, totally on fire. You talk about you know, beginning to walking, walking in crazy power, purity, joy, purpose, totally sold out. Tell us about that. Yeah, I just couldn't believe, like for the first time ever, I felt like in control. Mm -hmm. You know, the minute I fully surrendered and gave my life to the Lord and let him take over, it was the first time I ever experienced self-control. Mm. And I went from someone who had no control over what she does with her money, what she does with her body, what she does with, you know, her time, to all of a sudden just being very militant, like, this is my body, I'm going to respect it and honour it. No, one's no one is going to touch it. And this is my time, I'm going to spend it and sow it into the kingdom. These are my finances, I'm going to tithe and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And that sense of power that was being fueled out of a place of presence and out of a place of proximity to the Lord. Like I felt powerful for the first time ever. I mean, it was such an adventure. It was such a joy. It was like, where else can I see this radical freedom? Like where else can I get set free? Where else am I going to change? And so it was the first time I ever felt like felt a sense of purpose. Um, what had also happened is during that period, like, Previous to like my full surrender to the Lord, I had been in the toilets uh, with some girls that I didn't even really know, um, but we'd been in a club. And I remember that night in the club, I had been off my head on ketamine, which is like horse tranquilizer. And you don't even know if you're coming or going. But I was in these toilets with this girl and she said I should become a teacher. And so I was like, okay, that sounds like fun. And so when I began following God, I said to the Lord, like, what do you want me to do with my life? And he reminded me of that encounter. And so I, following that prompting and that sense of peace that I got, I became a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so here I am now, I'm like a Christian and I am teaching. And it's the first ever time that I am creatively, like fully alive. It's the mm -hmm. first ever time I am really good at something because most of the time during my degree and during my uh, time at college studying fashion, like all I did was get high and all I did was, you know, get drunk. And now as, as a teacher and as a student that was studying to become a teacher previous to that, I was so focused and it was the first time I was actually even beginning to see the potential in me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm now walking in purpose and I'm seeing all these children that I'm pouring into and I'm sowing into their gifts and I'm telling them about Jesus. And so it was this whole new world, this whole new adventure I just could not get enough you know like I was getting to know the Lord so much more I was you know discovering who I am and it was the first time now where I was getting prophetic words about what he'd actually called me to how he designed me I mean it was so 
fun. I didn't even want to be with guys anymore because the kind of fun and the kind of adventure I was beginning to experience with the Lord, like nothing could compare to it. Like the, the clubbing and the raving and the getting high and getting drunk and being with guys, like they paled in comparison to hearing from God, being told about my destiny, being told what I was wired for, you know, like growing in that way, hearing his voice more, developing a love for worship, like all these things just literally captivated me. And all I wanted was more of God. Wonderful. You know, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking of Luke 7. I was preaching on the Jesus encounter at Simon the Pharisee's house with that beautiful, precious, broken lady who came and, and uh, you know, wiped her feet with her tears and, uh, and her hair. And, and Jesus says, you know, to those who forgive much, they love mm. much. I mean, that's you, isn't it? I literally, like part of the reason that I tell people about Jesus so much and the reason I minister in the area of sexuality and in the area, you know, places where actually others dare not to go mm-hmm. is because, oh my gosh, the level of forgiveness and compassion and mercy that I have received from the Lord. Like I think I probably for a good 17 year period as a Christian, I don't think there was a day that would go by where I wouldn't pinch myself, where I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot Mm. believe I'm in the light. I cannot believe I'm in the light. I cannot believe I'm in the light. Because the way the Lord took me out of the darkness, like in his kindness, in his kind intent towards me. And when I think back to all the things that I was doing, like he he knew all along that I was going to come back to him one day, but he never stopped loving me when I was aborting my two babies, you know, like when I was sleeping around or, you know, when I was denying him, when I was rejecting him, when I was laughing at Christians, like the whole time he knew that one day I would be his again, Mm. but he never rejected me in the days when I rejected him. And so now when I, when I reach out to the lost, I know that there's not a single person who's done anything that is so bad that they cannot come back to the Lord or they cannot receive the love of God. And so I do believe that when you have been forgiven much, you truly do learn to love much, but it's not your own love. It's literally the love of God that you have received that you cannot help but lavish on really what society might deem the unlovable, you know, because you yourself were so unlovable. Mm, Yeah. Hey folks, I love it, the impact of this podcast. And thank you, those of you that spread the news. Could I challenge all of you listening to this? Could you share this podcast with three of your mates to see if they would subscribe? It's just getting great news out there. And listen, if you want to receive a weekly WhatsApp ping, just one ping to make it easy for you to share with other people, because often I listen to podcasts and think, oh, that's brilliant, but I find it hard to know how to share it. You can sign up at greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash WhatsApp. That's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash WhatsApp. And then you get one ping a week that you can forward to your mates. Then also, how about uh, a weekly email on it? That would be greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired email. You could do that, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired email. And uh, there are giving options there if you want to support the podcast. It's under the auspices of Great Lakes Outreach, and we're serving the poorest and hungriest country in the world in Burundi. So I'd love your support in that. Anyway, God bless you for your encouragement, support, and emails. Loving it. Now let's get back to the podcast. 
So, uh, amongst many things, you're a chaplain in, in strip clubs. You're, you're, you've been a, a club angel in nightclubs. You know, tell us some of those stories of meeting with precious people. Yeah, there. totally. I mean, I remember I was listening to Premier Christian Radio one day, and this precious uh, girl came on, and she was just talking about a, a nightclub ministry that that she's coordinator for. And, and at that point, I'd been doing street evangelism, so I'd been in Leicester Square for several years at that point, and. I would, um, you know, minister to people that would be coming out of clubs and I would pray with them all like, you know, at silly o'clock in the night. Um, but But I wasn't going into clubs. And then I heard this woman talk about this ministry called Club Angels, where you go into clubs and you actually serve people in the clubs and you radiate God's light. Mm-hmm. So I got in touch with the ministry and then I immediately joined Club Angels. And so what we would do is we would ha- wear these T-shirts and we would have a stand and on the stand and on the T-shirts, it would say, you know, we're Club Angels. We we chat, we listen, we pray. Oh, and we're Christians. And so people just had full, you know, freedom to come and approach us. And they always would, obviously, because having those t-shirts or having that on, you know, like um, our marketing would obviously intrigue people. And so they'd come and we'd have like cookies for them and brownies for them and sweets for everyone in the club while they're kind of doing all their madness. And then we would just have all these amazing conversations Mm. and just tell them about Jesus. And we'd see people that maybe had crutches but they're still out raving and so we'd pray with people I remember leading a tequila slammer girl to the Lord you know mm-hmm. we'd serve the staff we'd clear up um glasses and we'd we'd always like help the medics because we would go outside in the freezing cold while all the people who were off their trolley were vomiting or trying mm. to get home and we'd just come and we'd help them get in ubers we'd we'd wipe down their vomit clean up their vomit and make sure that they don't feel alone or if their friends had abandoned them we'd try and go and look for their friends we'd put them in an uber we would pray with them we would yeah just give them the love of God and the whole time we knew it was the Lord showing up for them and so we had so many beautiful encounters like we'd chat to like uh, movie producers and people that were in the creative arts and we'd be literally in the middle of the club all mm. these people that didn't know the Lord and we'd be holding hands and we'd all be praying and some people would start praying and it was so beautiful mm. in the middle of the dance floor we would me and and the team we would just dance we would dance but but we weren't dancing like the world we were dancing for God's glory and as we would be dancing we would take the lyrics of the songs and then we would turn them around and then we would sanctify them and then we would start prophesying over every single person that was in the club and we would prophesy salvation and we would prophesy giftings and you know redemption over their lives and over their their giftings and that was club angels and I loved doing that even though it was hard because mm-hmm. you know I came from that environment and so being back in that environment was a huge sacrifice because I don't want to be around the spirit of lust. But I know that to go back into the darkness is where God has called us. You know, when you get delivered out of darkness, you don't sit cushy in your own cozy little light. You go shine yeah. in the darkness because that's where you shine the, the most. And so even though it was hard, it was always a joy to be in those clubs, you know, and actually break bread before we'd go in those clubs. And then we'd come out and we'd be so pumped because of the way that the Lord had moved. Um, And then that didn't, you know, after lockdown, that ministry didn't get rebirthed. But the same 
ladies ended up birthing another ministry, which, yes, does involve us being in the strip clubs as chaplains. And again, we see these precious women coming to know the Lord. We minister to them. We just listen to them. We bring gifts to them every time we go into the club. It's either food or, you know, um, prophetic words uh, at Christmas and on Valentine's Day. We will take them all gift bags and flowers and prophetic words. And during lockdown, all these things were sent via post to them for the girls that we did have address um, details for. Like it's such a precious ministry. These women are blown away by the love of God Mm. because they just, they can't imagine why Jesus would set foot in a strip club and tell someone that he loves them and that he's got a plan and a purpose for their lives. Like they're baffled by that and they are being touched by his love every single week without a shadow of a doubt. Wonderful. Oh, listen, we're we're running out of time. We've got, still got loads more to talk about. But so, what 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 involves your time in the main right now? Usually, it's whatever the Lord is breathing on. So, um, it's either the sacred sexuality stuff, ministering in the area of sexuality. So, I might be running courses because I will you know, in the sacred sexuality ministry that involves obviously having a book and then ministering in that area. But then I also run a course um, and the course that I run sometimes is open to the public, but then sometimes it's with a particular rehab center that I work with where I will just minister just to the men on the course sometimes and then just to the women and I'll take them throughout the whole course as they come out of, you know, those lifestyles of addiction and drugs and sometimes sex addiction and gambling, etc. So usually I'll be running a course. Um, I also still teach, you know, I teach fashion, I teach sex and relationships. So the whole area of sacred sexuality, I also teach that and oversee the whole sex and relationships curriculum in a wonderful Christian school that I'm involved with. I also teach about Christianity in the school as well and other faiths um, as well. So that takes up a huge part of my life. Um, But mainly it is probably more than the fashion side of things. It probably is the sacred sexuality side of things that, that the Lord has me focused on in this time, particularly where we're living in a culture where sexual immorality is so the norm and sexual confusion and all like all the woke nonsense around sexuality. And because the church itself has got so deceived by it, like I definitely feel that in this moment in time, the Lord wants his design for sexuality, biblical sexuality that the world cannot even compare with, you know, what the world offers that the world masquerades as sex in in the bible according to the bible it's sexual dysfunction Mm. and i believe the lord wants to see a generation rewired away from counterfeit intimacy away from sexual dysfunction and he wants the world to come into true intimacy he wants the church to come into true intimacy with him first and foremost and then to be salt and light in a very sexually broken world where there's so much deception and there's so much you know political correctness and even the church has fallen prey to it he wants his beautiful design for sexuality to be reclaimed for his glory and so that's a lot of what i'm involved in Mm. right now Mm. i love your your fearlessness I don't want to stop now without anything that you really wanted to talk about. So go for it. Um, Yeah, thank you so much, Simon. Um, I guess the key thing really is like in this moment in time, you know, we have been raised up for such a time as this. Mm. And I 
believe that some people can be like, oh my gosh, this is like crazy times. Like the world's gone bonkers. Like, um, come Jesus, come, like, come and just let rapture come. But this is the church in its finest hour. Like this is us actually getting to be salt and light. We are getting to, you know, disciple nations, but it must all come from that place of intimacy with the Lord. Like everything that we do, the fearlessness and the boldness and the standing up for the, the, truth of the word of God and, you know, rejecting what culture is saying, rejecting what most of the church is even saying, like all of that must come from a place of deep acquaintance, of knowing Jesus, of being intimately known by him. And so my plea to everyone will be like, stay in the secret place, you know, stay close to the Lord, like spend time with him, worship him, spend time in the word, get rooted in the word. Like that is where the solutions and the breakthrough for this broken world is is going to come. It's going to come from being with him. And with that, you know, awareness of his desires, with that awareness of him receiving his reward, that Jesus would have his reward from that place of nearness to him, we get to go out and be salt and light. And as fiery as I as I might be, and as militant as I might be, you know, about the things of God, like I want it to come from that place of love. And I want it to come from that place of intimacy and from that place of compassion and mercy. And we can only have that when we spend time with the Lord so that when we go out into the highways and the byways, when we go into our schools, when we, you know, go into our spheres of influence, that is not coming from condemnation, but it's coming from compassion. It's coming from mercy. It's coming from a place that says, hey, like everything that you desire, I know someone that can bring you all of that and so much more and tell you who you are and that can heal your broken wounds and can love you like you've never been loved before. Mm. And for us to do that, that we ourselves must continuously be receiving his love, enjoying his love, ministering our love to him so that we're flowing out of the overflow and not from a place of reserves. Wow. Come on, people. Listen, um, <laughs> you're going to want, I think you're going to want to be in touch with Bobby and get more of her stuff. So you can do that at livinginlight.co.uk. She's got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of resources to to share. And, uh, oh, Bobby, I knew it was going to be good. It's been absolutely brilliant. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Simon. Wonderful. Hey, folks. Oh, sort of, uh, I th- how do you feel? I think you'll probably feel a mix of, uh, you know, the mind-bending stories, the, the stirring, the challenging, very challenging, isn't it? And hopefully, well, so for me, I'm, I've got a cheesy grin on my face. I'm very inspired. And uh, she's a kindred spirit. These are dark days. These are challenging days. But it is for such a time as this. And I'm just thinking, those of me forgive much, love much. She's a beautiful, beautiful testimony of God's grace. And and, and Christ's love then, when she, once you've met with God, just compels you to get out there and be part of his redemptive uh, plans for the transformation of the world. So now is the time, God's favor. Today's the day of salvation. Let's do it. Let's 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 get off the podcast now. You might, you, you might be uh, going for a walk. You might be see someone you could chat to. You might be in the kitchen, you know, get, get the neighbors over. You, you might be uh, taking the kids to school. I don't know where you're listening to this, but I hope it has really stirred your spirit and, and uh, fanned into flame that that uh, life inside of you to be part of God's plans. Brilliant. Look, we'll call it a day there. Um, if you've been inspired, uh, please give us a great review on Spotify or iTunes. Uh, you can be in touch with me at simongilbert.com. Yeah, I want to thank Adam Thomas Steer for the editing and Mike Sandman for the mixing. Next week, we'll have a very different, because every story is so different, isn't it? But we'll have another fantastic guest on. So I look forward to that. In the meantime, have a great week and toodaloo.